0: Beautiful wife, Mrs. What's her name, on October 11th, 2014. I found out yesterday, through a weird set of circumstances, that she doesn't like Ziploc bags. There goes her fucking Valentine's Day gift. Welcome to the Atomic Skull podcast. My name is Matt, and don't be alarmed, you guys. I work at a sex shop, and I get a killer. Discount, So I can assure you that on Valentine's Day, Mrs. What's-Her-Name is getting the works. I want to set aside my seemingly endless self-loathing for just a second to acknowledge this being episode 23. First, I'm seriously amazed that I've gotten to 23 episodes. Not that I assumed that I would give up. But because when I decided I was going to do this shit show, I genuinely had utterly no idea what to expect. I wasn't sure that it was going to last for two episodes. Making it this far and actually building some kind of formula to this mess is pretty incredible to me. And the reason that I'm bringing it up right at this moment in particular is because 23 has kind of been my lucky number since I was a kid. And not only is this the 23rd episode, but I'm releasing it on the 23rd of the month. Very poetic. How adorable is that, right? And this is the part, you guys, where I am going to be a whore at you. And it specifically isn't something that I'm going to do often, but if you will forgive me, it is something that I'm going to do today because I have learned that sometimes luck happens to you and sometimes you make your own luck. I would like to ask you guys to help me with that luck just a little bit. It will take you 10 seconds. You don't even have to put on pants. Please, if you would, share this episode somewhere on the social medias. I don't care where, I don't care how, I don't care when you listen to the episode. Throw it in a story so it disappears in a day. Make a post about it and talk about how you're being emotionally blackmailed by a dildo salesman who refuses to shit in public. I just want to see that beautiful logo created by my incredibly talented future husband, Gmo, everywhere. Even if it's only for a day, I am graciously and humbly requesting oversaturation. If it is on Instagram, be sure to tag me at Atomic Skull Podcast. If it's on Facebook and we're friends on that whole situation, be sure to tag me in that. If it's on the TikToks, I have an account gathering dust over there. It's the Atomic Skull Podcast. I promise I'm going to learn to use that thing at some point. I have some really funny videos that I want to make for it. I am just busy and old. You can even tag me on Twitter. If you want to use your twat to share this garbage, add Atomic Skull Pod. I'm not going to ask for this too often, but this really is a celebratory milestone for me, and I've got a run of episodes coming up that I think you guys are really going to enjoy a lot. The party is starting to grow, and I'm so busy fielding answers to Gold Star questions. Shout out, by the way, to the people who were complaining to me about how hard the Gold Star questions are. I welcome and appreciate your dissent, and this week is going to really piss you off. But the party is truly getting bigger, and I'm addressing Gold Star answers. I am loving everyone's feedback about the episodes. It is exhausting, and I couldn't be fucking happier. This is not a moment where you should feel bad about reaching out to me the way that you're doing it. It's fucking incredible. Do it more if you haven't reached out to me. Start reaching out to me. I am having a blast. The way I'm figuring it at this point, the more the merrier. Thanks to each and every one of you weird kids in advance for sharing and reaching out and let's fucking go. Now I know I said I was going to set aside my self-loathing but that was only for a second so I hope you don't get used to it because it is about to come back with a vengeance. I giveth and then I take it away. So in last week's episode I made not one but two genuine mistakes. The first one was just a little baby one and not even a mistake at all, really. I had guessed that Tom Cruise may have won a Golden Globe for his role in Tropic Thunder, which if you haven't seen it, it's fucking iconic. As a matter of fact, He did not win for Tropic Thunder. He was only nominated. He did win Best Supporting Actor for Magnolia, which is also a very off-brand Tom Cruise role that he destroyed. He was amazing in Magnolia. He had like one 10-minute scene and stole that whole flick. I do pride myself on being a pop culture psycho, but if you do take issue with the fact that I was wrong about that and I completely understand, please call the San Jacinto Police Department at 951-654-2702 and tell them to investigate the disappearance of Shelly Miscavige. The second thing that I completely bluffed last week was talking about Lisa Marie Presley Passing away. And this right here is why I hate myself. Because when I fuck up, I don't just fuck up on a small level. There's fucking layers to it. Not only when I mentioned it, did I say Priscilla Presley instead of Lisa Marie Presley, but I made that mistake multiple times while talking about how sometimes when celebrities die, I don't have much to say about it, which is a fucking asshole thing to do. Priscilla Presley was Elvis's wife. She's still out there and kicking ass. Lisa Marie Presley was Elvis's only daughter, his only child. She sadly and suddenly passed away from not one, but two heart attacks nearly back to back. And here I was talking about how sometimes I have nothing to say about the tragedy of people dying and I completely use the wrong fucking name. I even look back on my notes thinking that the pre-show shot of tequila I took just hit me the wrong way. But nope, I even wrote Priscilla in my fucking notes. I am the worst so if you're asking why i hate myself as much as i do These are the kinds of wholesale fuck-ups I make on a regular basis, and you can bet your ass. After I finish recording this episode, I am going to have a long talk with a fried peanut butter banana and bacon sandwich about this. And if you understand that reference, make sure you take all the Werther's candies out of your pants pocket before you throw them in the laundry, Gramps. I shouldn't even be saying shit like that. Everyone is complaining about the price of eggs right now, like we're all grandmas at the grocery store. As someone who loves to bake, I find the whole egg price hike both threatening and terrifying. I've tried using applesauce as a substitute in my chocolate chip cookies for eggs, but fuck that. It's like having tofu faken or whatever it is that vegans try to sell you on with the idea that you wouldn't miss meat if you didn't have it you want to acknowledge the fact that they're trying to play the game on your level but also you know it's just Not the same. I'm not trying to give the potential vegan listeners out there any shit. Thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate every single one of you like you're all breaths of air. I really do. Vegans, we understand that you have the moral high ground in the whole argument against meat. But every single time a vegan gives me the whole, you wouldn't be eating animals if you had to kill them yourselves, bitch, give me the axe. I will slice that motherfucker up in front of its kids and fry it in their salty tears. Basically, what I'm doing right now, you guys, is trying to somehow induce Morrissey into a heart attack. And if he died, I would not apologize for calling him Priscilla Presley. I might apologize to her. Basically, what I'm saying is there's no way of getting out of the fact that cookies are fucking expensive right now. Because if you're not overpaying for cookies to bake at home, your other option this time of year is Girl Scout cookies. Tis the season, y'all. And just like every year, you can count on me celebrating and getting diabetes often over the next 90 days. And who says I'm not a multitasker? You know what? I'm going to make Girl Scout cookies the worst of the week. I'll get to the best of the week a little later on. I'm going to break it up today to keep you on your toes. They're not the worst of the week because I don't like them. Because I do. I really fucking do. It is a problem. No corporation has us all by the balls like the fucking Girl Scouts. Let me explain. There's no ceiling for how much we will pay for a box of those motherfuckers. When you see that table with those adorable little shits in front of the grocery store, either you are excited that they're there because you're about to fucking clean them out of everything and send them home early, or... You're pissed because you know you're going to have to cash out part of your 401k to clean them out of everything and send them home early. And as the almighty God herself is my witness, they take one cookie out of the sleeve every year just to fuck with us and maximize their profits. They're also multitaskers. Quick question for everybody out there as a little bonus for the week. What is your favorite Girl Scout cookie, and why is it Thin Mints from the freezer? Every year, I end up talking to at least one person who has never thought of the idea of putting Thin Mints in the freezer, and every year, I am amazed. If you're listening to this episode, and this is the first time you've heard of that, Reach out to me, atomicschoolpodcast at gmail.com and let me know that your mind has been blown so that you can be my one for the for 2023. You know what else? There really isn't a bad cookie on the list for them. There's ones that I don't buy, but there isn't a cookie on that roster that I would kick out of bed. Oh, have you guys seen the new one? It's online only and it looks like a thin mint, but it's raspberry. Those shits do not pass go, they do not collect $200, they are also going directly into the freezer. There is no way those ones won't be delicious. I just hope they're made from real Girl Scouts. And that is an old school Wednesday Adams reference for my fellow Gothies out there. You know who doesn't have to worry about the great cookie price hike of 2023 is Flo Rida. You guys remember Flo Rida, right? He's the one who had the apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur. This last week, Flo Rida won a lawsuit that he filed against that Celsius energy drink that I don't really like very much for a breach of endorsement contract. I did a bit of reading about this so that you don't have to. The jury found that Celsius, quote, fraudulently hid information from Flo Rida during his time with them, and they awarded the rapper $82.6 million in damages. Now, after everyone, including the government, gets their percentages, he's probably looking at closer to 45 million. But still, holy fucking shit. First of all, daddy! Second of all, Girl Scout cookies for all of us are on him this year. Thirdly, which I looked up, and that is actually a word, that is going to bring me to this week's gold star question. I've actually asked several people about this before, and it always kind of stumps them. It's going to take me a minute to explain. Picture that you just came in to $45 million. It doesn't matter how. Obviously, you're not going to get that money overnight. It's going to take some time to get into your account, right? here is what I want to know. You wake up one morning, check your bank account, and there the money is. A whole ass shitload of zeros in your account that actually has a number in front of them. The money is cleared, no issues, and it is all yours. I want you to tell me about what that first day would look like. And I'm not talking about the whole, I would pay off my, or or I would buy a new house or whatever. All that shit takes time. You have to go shopping for a new house. And telling me that you're going to invest it, that's no good either. Investing that much money takes research, expertise, and all of that takes time and appointments and shit. Most of the big ticket things that would happen with that kind of money takes time. I'm not calling bullshit on you. I'm not saying those things wouldn't happen. I'm saying those things wouldn't happen on day one. I want you to tell me what you would do the very first day you had $40 million in your account. I feel like I would go through the five stages of grief in a way. My first two thoughts would immediately be shock and denial. That kind of life change would take a little time to feel comfortable and understand. So i I want you guys to take a real hard moment while you're on the shitter or in your car or wherever it is you do the best thinking and tell me what you would do on that very first day. Would you spend that first day actively trying to pay off some of your debt? Your debt can wait 24 hours. But also, would you really just pack up and fly somewhere crazy? Sure, you could afford to do that, but you still have a life at home, presumably a job that you would quit. Most trips need at least a little bit of forethought. Send me an email, atomicskullpodcast at gmail.com. Slide into my DMs, all the usual ways you guys have been killing the gold star answers the last few weeks. It's been amazing. Keep doing that shit. But for this one, you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper switching up gears ever so violently. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Apparently Don Lewis was found alive. Maybe? If you don't remember the name Don Lewis, let me remind all you cool cats and kittens about Tiger King, which is probably the best part of the famous quarantine of 2020 that brought the whole country together as if we all shared one giant collective hug inside a muffin basket with kittens flying away on the wings of a sparrow. You remember Tiger King. How could any of us forget Tiger King? Tiger King was a concentrated version of a trip to the state, Fair without leaving your home or spending $30 on an order of garlic curly fries. I'm not judging. I love a good state fair. I love the Tiger King. Don Lewis was the first husband of Carol Baskin, who owns. Big cat rescue and is the sworn enemy of Joe Exotic, America's creepy uncle. I read some articles that Homeland Security cannot confirm that they found him, but also cannot completely deny anything about the subject. Helpful as always, boys. I kind of feel bad for Carol because she's pretty harshly gotten dragged through the mud, both on the show and in the media. But also... I think she killed Don Lewis and fed him to her tigers, maybe. I always get a little bit concerned with people. Who were too wholesome. When that Netflix documentary about Bob Ross came out a while back and it talked about how he was a little bit of an asshole sometimes, that actually made me feel a bit better about him. When people's personalities are too removed from reality, I start to ask a lot of questions. Carol is the most wholesome dominatrix I have ever laid eyes on because her current husband Howard is more whipped than good cream cheese. Again, no judgments if that's the shit you're into, man. Go get him. If that's what they both want, I hope she is stepping all over his balls with her most pointy high heels and putting cigs out on his tongue nightly. But I refuse to believe Don Lewis is alive until I see an authenticated video of him talking about how good the first episode of The Last of Us is while eating a Doritos Locos taco, which, depending on whether or not Taco Bell would like to sponsor this show, may or may not sound delicious right now. Meanwhile, The Last of Us, holy shit, that was the best pilot I have seen in a really long time. HBO and Warner Brothers might be a consistent dumpster fire right now, but they always seem to dig up that one thing that keeps them afloat. I am both ashamed and proud to say that I've become less and less of a video game nerd over the last several years because, frankly, I just don't have the fucking time. But I have a PS5 and an Xbox series whatever and every now and then I will find a game and become obsessed with it and then I have to play. I can't fucking wait for that new Spider-Man game later this year by the way. The first one was one of the most fun games I've ever played in my goddamn life. If you own a PS5 and haven't played that Spider-Man game I can't recommend it enough. It is worth regaining your virginity for. I didn't get to play The Last of Us but I know the game, and I know the story pretty well. Video games are the next great storytelling medium out there. You play the game over the course of several months, and there can be like 10 plus hours of cutaway scenes with boatloads of story and character development. I think Red Dead Redemption 2, another all-time favorite of mine, had like 15 hours worth of cutscenes on top of the playable game so translating video games to movies and tv is kind of a no-brainer unfortunately the quality of the translation has been a little bumpy to say the least quick shout out to the first mortal kombat movie for being in the 90s it actually wasn't too bad the last of us definitely is the next evolutionary step in that transition and they did such a fantastic job with the first episode i was blown away it stayed pretty true to the game, but without spoiling it, they made a couple of small changes that I think makes it a little better for television. There's a hell of a lot of potential and I can't wait to see where it goes. You don't even have to be a video game nerd to enjoy it. If you like any kind of apocalyptic zombie shit or heartbreaking death scenes, don't hesitate to dig in. Pedro Pascal is writing a hell Hell of a hot streak right now. Between playing Mando and Joel Miller, he's got nerds by the balls these days. Good for him. Mrs. What's her name thinks he is a cutie patootie, and she ain't wrong. Let's jump into the Dildo Chronicles for a second because I'm learning that I can pretty much do a best and worst of the week within the Chronicles. I've realized two very interesting things in particular this last week working at the store. First, and I don't want to sound like an old man here or anything, but it is so weird and borderline uncomfortable selling any kind of sex stuff to children. Not that they're actual children. I card them when they walk in the store. But also, if you walk into the store, I'm trying to take your money. That's my job. And I'm kind of good at it. I'm not going to lie to you to do it or anything. But if you walk in that building, my job is to find out what you're looking for, educate you, and then take your money. This last week, I was showing these three young ladies i don't know how to even they were toddlers okay i was showing these 3 19 year old toddlers about the sensitivity creams that we have we've got g spot sensitivity cream and clit sensitivity creams shit works too they were the only ones in the store and i was bored so i was explaining to them how to use it and they they all got so excited and they all bought some which again right on they they were old enough. I remember how I was at that age. My junk controlled my whole fucking life back then. I was glad to show them that stuff, and I'm not gatekeeping. They are allowed to do whatever the fuck they want with their bodies, and I would never say otherwise. But I am also allowed to have the heebie-jeebies explaining that shit to to those toddlers. And before you judge me, think of it this way. Would you rather I got skeeved out by it as opposed to getting like excited about explaining this shit to them? The other thing that I noticed. So when I worked at the big blue electronics store and a customer's credit card or bank card gets declined for whatever reason, okay? And I've I've been there. I get it. We've all been there. There's a ton of perfectly legitimate reasons that a card wouldn't go through. The funds haven't cleared, there's a fraud hold, banks will sometimes auto reject transactions over a certain amount, the card has expired. Shitty life happens to all of us shittily, right? When that would happen, Customers would tell me that they need to call the bank or they have to go to the ATM to get cash and whatever, and then they would be back. Sometimes they would come back. But I learned over the years that more often than not, they usually don't. At the dildo store, cards get declined the same way. See previous statement regarding shit happens. But in this case, there are orgasms involved. And I can tell you that 100% of the time so far buddy, they come back. Either they have cash in hand or they are on the phone with the credit card company either begging, threatening, or both to get the transaction approved. As the great Dr. Ian Malcolm says in Jurassic Park, nature finds a way all right let's get to that gold star question from last week about who is on everyone's mount rushmore of comedy i love this question and i was super excited to get your answers as usual you guys came out in full force and i got so many responses i know i won't be able to get to all of them here but I am going to get to as many as I can. Thank you as always. I wanna start with my answers and then I wanna get to the names that came up most often for you guys. I am so happy with the taste of everyone who listens to this program. There were a lot of names that I was not expecting to see, and I was very pleasantly surprised. First up on my list, let's get the easy one out of the way. If you listened to last week, you know Eddie Murphy. Not only is Eddie on my list, but he was number one coming up most often from you guys as well. He only did two comedy specials in the 80s a couple years apart, Delirious and Raw, but they were both legendary. I will admit, and even Ed admits, that some of those jokes didn't age very well, but Jesus fucking Christ, there isn't one single joke on either of those specials that doesn't land perfectly perfectly. The bit about his dad being drunk at the family cookout is probably, pound for pound, one of the funniest stand-up comedy routines in history. I swear to God it should be in the fucking Smithsonian. And Murphy is one of those few stand-up comedians who has also been hysterical in movies. 48 Hours, Trading Places, The Masterpiece Coming to America, the first two Beverly Hills Cop movies, not to mention everything he did on Saturday Night Live. All of that that I just mentioned was just in the 80s. That doesn't include shit like Daddy Daycare and Shrek that he did later on. It is rare for a stand-up comedian to transition over to movies and be equally funny in both. And to that end, tied. For first place with Eddie Murphy, you guys, is someone else who started in stand-up and transitioned into movies and did an amazing job in both. I'm sad that I couldn't put him on my list, but if Mount Rushmore was just a couple more faces, he would have definitely made it on there. He is one of my favorites. He tied with Eddie being one of your favorites. The immortal Robin Williams. I fucking miss that man comedy and pain go hand in hand any comedian will tell you that and i don't know how to explain it but i saw his pain in every single joke he did i understand the struggle so much of barely being able to keep up with your own brain everything he did he did a million percent and i love and respect him for that so much he killed it doing stand-up comedy. And then he moved over to television doing Mork and Mindy. And, I mean, his movies, you can take your pick of your favorite Robin Williams movie. And he didn't just do comedy. He won an Academy Award for Goodwill Hunting, which he was fucking incredible in. He was creepy as fuck. Fuck in one hour photo. He was terrifying in insomnia. He was all heart in Dead Poet Society and The World According to Garp. And he gave a master class in comedy in Mrs. Doubtfire. He could do it all. The rumor at the end was that he got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And I think that he just didn't want to have another thing in his life that he had no control over. He didn't want to put it all on his family. I hate to say it this way but one of the things we don't ever talk about with suicide is that sometimes you have to admit you kind of get it. That doesn't mean that it's okay or there's a justification, but you kind of get it. Check on your friends, tell someone you love them today, especially if that someone is yourself. Another stand-up comedian who made their way to movies that I had sent to me a handful of times is Steve Martin. The man is a genius. I couldn't tell you when, why, or how I first listened to Let's Get Small, which is his first comedy album, but I didn't stop laughing the whole way through. One of the single greatest one-liners of all time is on that album. And I may have mentioned it before on the show, but it is so nice I'm gonna say it twice. Quote, I went to the Turd Museum and they had some great shit there. That line alone is a fucking A plus. Me personally, I am a Planes, Trains and Automobiles guy, but obviously The Jerk is also a classic. I am glad that he made it onto a few of your lists. The second person, on my Mount Rushmore for comedy is Bill Hicks. There is no single, not just comedian, but person who has had a more profound impact on my life, on comedy, on the way that I approach both than Bill Hicks. Hicks was a stand-up comedian who came up in the mid 80s, late 80s, early 90s from Austin, Texas he calls himself a social satirist his three main topics are some form of sex drugs and rock and roll he doesn't just make jokes he wants people to think and i fucking love that I heard about him through this weird story. So Comedy Central way, way back did the top 100 stand-up comedians. And Sam Kennison, who is another massive favorite of mine, was number 20. Which is right about where he should be. Number nineteen, right ahead of him was Bill Hicks. At the time, I had never fucking heard of this dude, so I downloaded some of his stuff illegally, like a dirty, filthy pirate, and I listened to some of it, and I didn't really fucking like it. He was just yelling into the microphone, and I, I just, it didn't, I didn't get it at all. And then I happened to listen to him again a few weeks later, after having a really bad day. And I don't know what it was, but for some reason, it hit me like a ton of bricks. He had this amazing and delicate balance of cynical and hopeful. He loves everyone, but he hates people. The first tattoo that I ever got in Old Town Sacramento in 2005 was of a quote by bill hicks if you are a fan of the band tool their first full-length album anima is dedicated to bill and it even has a drawing of bill in the liner notes on the very last episode of this show whenever that may be i am going to end it with a bill hicks quote which is a mantra that i live my life by That is what he means to me. I recommend every single thing that he has ever recorded, Flying Saucer Tour, Relentless, Rant in E minor, Arizona Bay, listen to every album, all the albums he has ever done. He's a fucking genius. I miss you, Billy. While we are on the subject, I got four other big names for stand-up comedy that were sent to me multiple times. The great George Carlin, who I have talked about at length multiple times on the show. Richard Pryor, who is a legend. Is It Something I Said is one of my favorite comedy albums. Maybe my favorite comedy album overall. And I also got several for John Mulaney. John Mullaney is the future of stand-up comedy. I think that he is this generation's Jerry Seinfeld. His bit about Law & Order SVU is one of the funniest fucking things I have heard in the last 20 years. And a few stand-up comedians that got sent to me once that I don't want to overlook because I agree with all of them. Rodney Dangerfield, Hashtag no respect at all. Kathleen Madigan, who is criminally underrated. Kevin Hart, Bob Saget. If you've never seen Bob Saget's joke in The Aristocrats, it is a fucking shredder. The original, the OG, Lenny Bruce, Chris Rock. Adam Sandler. I got Tim Allen more than once. I think I got him twice. 90s sitcom stand-up comedians were all legendary. Drew Carey, Tim Allen, Roseanne Barr, Ray Romano all started out as stand-up comedians and then they got shows that somehow were fucking great. And then the last one I got twice as well is Bo Burnham. Also the future of stand-up comedy. I remember seeing uh, in the same night I saw New Math and 3.14 Apple Pie and I was amazed that something so brilliant and so funny could come out of somebody so young. Now the third person on my Mount Rushmore list is the brilliant, hysterical, kick-ass, bossy pants herself, Tina Fey. She is the first female head writer in Saturday Night Live history. She is one of the very few people who has worked with the three main improv troops in the United States, Second City, the Groundlings, and the UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade. She wrote and starred in Mean Girls. She has done punch-up writing for an assload of movies and shows. She created and starred in 30 Rock and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She has done it all. She's hysterical in every single thing she does. She doesn't take shit from men about how women comedians are less funny. If you are looking for a good autobiography, read her book Bossy Pants. It kicks ass. More than that, she's just fucking down to earth, and she seems like she would be a blast to hang out with. I would share a box of donuts with her anytime. Rounding out the list with two more who don't really fit into any of the previous categories is Sasha Baron Cohen and Dan Harmon, two of the funniest people alive right now for very different reasons. They are phenomenal. The last name for my Mount Rushmore, and this one was tough for me to narrow it down. Truth be told, you guys, I'm still trying to narrow it down. I'm talking a little extra to buy myself time to make a decision, and I think I'm gonna have to go with Mel Brooks. The man is a fucking legend. Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, The Producers, Robin Hood Men in Tights, History of the World Part 1, and the upcoming Part 2, I'm so excited, Young Frankenstein, Silent Movie, written, directed, and he had at least a small part in all of those. There is nothing that Al can't do. It's good to be the king. I know I missed a few that you guys sent in, and you'll have to forgive me. I gotta wrap this puppy up. Speaking of, for best of the week, I am going to do something a little closer to home. I know that I give my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, a lot of shit, and that's never going to stop. But the fact is, you guys, she is the light of my life. And this story that I'm about to tell you is one of the reasons. I had just gotten home from work, and I had finished doing a little bit of writing for this little shit show here. I cleaned up a little bit around the kitchen, and I had just made myself a Kahlua and coffee, and I'm talking mostly Kahlua and a little bit of coffee. I was kicking back, I was higher than a dragon's vulva, and all of the sudden... She comes home at 1230 in the morning from work and she comes to me and says, hey, so we have a problem and you are going to be very mad at me. Not a good start. I am immediately terrified and I am thinking what the fuck is going on? She says, I have a visitor in my car. Cool. Okay. Let me grab every single weapon that I can find because I am ready to see blood. Is this visitor a hobo that snuck into your car? Is this visitor a snake that happens to be in the car? I don't know what the fuck is going on, and I'm starting to freak out. She has a big, beautiful, Malamute-Husky mix in her car apparently she almost hit the dog slammed on her brakes and he was running around just astray no collar no anything and she just opened the door she put on her hazards she opened the door and the dog just went right into her car and just started kind of nuzzling up against her She brings him home. She says, I can't just let this dog go out in the middle of the cold night. So I told her, obviously, we're going to leave the dog here. We're going to just have him kind of play with our dogs, which he absolutely did. They all got along famously. And she said in the morning, I am going to pack him up and I'm going to take him to the Humane Society or, you know, wherever and drop him off so that he doesn't just get killed in the middle of the night by coyotes. So she wakes up at like 8.30 in the morning and drives to the Humane Society and finds out that they only take in strays that are injured. What is she supposed to do? Stab the fucking thing? She goes to another place and they are booked. They can't take anything for weeks. She calls animal control. They can't get the dog for several days. She has nowhere to take this dog, but she is absolutely committed to finding the dog a home. She is not leaving this dog out on the street. Her maid of honor, one of our very, very close friends, my favorite dummy in the world, ends up taking the dog and takes her home to meet her daughter and her family and did it just today. My beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, found a stray dog, gave him food, gave him water, a place to sleep, gave him a bath, and found him a new home. That right there is why she is the light of my fucking life. And that is the best of the week. Thank you, Mrs. What's-Her-Name. Thank you, dummy. What. A wholesome, wonderful fucking story. Before I get to the song of the week and wrap this fucking thing up, I want to give a quick RIP to David Crosby, a legendary folk singer-songwriter. He was the living embodiment of the 60s drug scene. Everybody respected him. With all of the shit that he did, I'm seriously surprised that he made it this long, honestly, which is amazing. But I've realized that I can't keep letting people dying dictate my song of the week. So I will not be doing a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song or The Birds or Buffalo Springfield. I had told you at the beginning of the episode that this one was special for me. And I want to mark the occasion by celebrating one of my favorite old school hip hop songs. And for good reason. De La Soul is finally streaming their catalog in March. And they released my favorite song of theirs as sort of a teaser and I have fallen in love with it all over again. It has been playing non-stop for me, so I want to pass it on to you and I really hope you listen to this one because it is an old school brilliant song that has an amazing flow to it. So go check out The Magic Number by De La Soul on the Atomic Skull Podcast Song of the Week playlist on Spotify and I dare you to not get that song stuck in your head. It is a total earworm next week you guys is going to be a special episode that i promise you are not going to see coming it is going to be a kind of episode that i have never done before and something that i hope i will get to do many times afterwards do yourself a favor and tune in because it is going to be a whopper i'm excited And I'm dreading it, which should give you at least a little bit of an indication on the kind of chaos that it is going to be. I am already exhausted next week about it. I know I profusely thank you guys for listening, supporting, and sharing the shit show, and it might make it annoying for you but I mean it more and more with each episode. I guess what I'm really saying is suck my ass, and I appreciate every single one of you. I'm looking forward to seeing this episode everywhere whenever it is you listen to it. If you are kind enough to share, again, please be sure to tag me so I can bask in the glory of my emotional blackmail. Make sure and follow me on all the shit. Rate me five stars. I've got a whole ass handful of people who have Just jumped on the train over the last few weeks, and I'm so excited to have everyone here. I really am. Apologies to my mother-in-law, who came to see me at work today, which was really weird. I want to leave you guys with a quote that I keep very close to my heart. It is from the late, great Robin Williams, off of his 1978 stand-up special, Off the Wall. Quote, People are flowers, and it's been a privilege traveling through the garden. How are you doing?